Pride Month is upon us, and corporate America is cashing in on America's obsession with unusual sex. We will analyze how the queen of sin became our culture's favorite virtue. Then, the mainstream media misrepresent a surprising poll on abortion, and 2020 Democrats continue to humiliate themselves. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. It's Pride Month. In honor of that, I'm wearing a lavender shirt. Uh, this was just a happy coincidence, actually. And the pride is the issue, by the way. We'll be talking about pride because pride is called the queen of all sin, the queen of all vices. And uh, uh, as Drew was saying on his show today, pride has now also become the uh, vice of all queens. So, so we'll be analyzing the relationship between pride and all of these sex parades. But first, let me tell you about Big Token. Let me make you a little bit of money. Big Token is a new app that lets you share data about yourself, your interests, and your habits, and then get paid for it. Right now, you share an enormous amount of information with tech companies. You are sharing it right now on whatever app and whatever uh, instrument you're using. The big tech companies make a lot of money off of it, and so should you. This is where Big Token comes in. Here's how it works. First, you download the app and you sign up for a free Big Token account. Then you complete actions to earn points. And this can include answering surveys, checking into locations, checking, uh, connecting to your social accounts and more. So how much time do you waste just swiping mindlessly? You can actually be making money while you do it because you can redeem your points for rewards such as cash and gift cards. Or if you're a nice guy, you can donate your earnings to charity. You can choose what data you share with Big Token, then you get paid for the data. And you can also get more points for referring family and friends. Most importantly, your data are always secure with Big Token. Based on the data you choose to share, you will be placed into specific ad groups. Brands will buy access to those ad groups. It's very transparent and it's used in personalized advertising. The best part of it though, is you get paid. Don't just scroll mindlessly. Don't fritter away your time. If you want to start earning money for your data, go to the App Store or Google Play, search for Big Token, B-I-G-T-O-K-E-N. That is one word. Download the app and sign up. This is a great way to earn some money or donate to charity in your spare time with data that you're already giving away for free. Make sure to use my referral code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Again, search Big Token in the App Store or Google Play, download the app and use my referral code. This is the most important part because then I get credit, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. LES to sign up, claim your data and get paid. Happy Pride, everybody. Happy Pride Month. Not Gluttony Month, not Wrath Month, not Sloth Month. Pride Month. Pride Month is upon us. The Pride Month used to be the Pride Parade. So there was one day, and I'm from New York, so they have all these kind of crazy Pride <laughs> events in New York and have had them for 20 years. Now, Pride Day has become a whole month, which means that everyone is cashing in on the popularity of unusual sex, primarily, and then pride now, probably even more than that. This includes corporations, politicians, even priests are cashing in on the popularity of pride. On the corporate front, nowhere is this more apparent than Budweiser. Budweiser beer, the most basic beer in the whole world. Everyone likes Budweiser. Budweiser is now supporting Pride Month in London. They sent a tweet announcing their support for Pride, and then, as a follow-up to this, they have unveiled their new beer-drinking cups for every kind of sexual preference. We're not just talking about gay and lesbian. We are talking about sexual preferences that you didn't even know were sexual preferences. Their first cup that they unveiled 
They said, fly the flag for by pride. By pride. I, uh, they, they say magenta, they, they have it divided up into a few different colors. Magenta is for same gender attraction. Blue is for attraction to genders other than your own. And lavender, a mix of the two, represents attraction to your own and other genders, though some interpret it differently. Okay. All right. I mean, the first thing is they talk about all of these different genders. So it's, it's not just that you're attracted to the other gender or it's for your own gender. There are all of these genders. According to Facebook, there are 56 of them. Your beer cup now has to reflect that apparently. You thought you could just drink beer. No, no, you have to reflect your very precise, always changing sexual preferences. And let's say though, that you don't like sex very much. Well, Budweiser is inclusive even of that because they have a cup for asexuals who, quote, don't feel sexual attraction to anyone. Gray is for gray asexuals, who sometimes feel sexual attraction, and demisexuals, who only feel it if they know someone well. White nods to non-asexual allies, and purple represents the whole community. But if, if the whole community is people who like sex and who don't like sex and who sometimes like sex and who always like sex, then that's all the people. So that's probably the safest cup that you can buy because, you know, if your wife, for instance, says that she has a headache one night when you come home, she, I guess, for that evening would be asexual. Or maybe she just doesn't like you, so she would be demisexual. She wants to have sex, just not with you. Then she'll have that cup. And you, who really, really want to have sex all the time, can also uh, drink out of that cup, which is gray, white, and black, for Pride Month because you like sex and it's inclusive of the whole community. Just a reminder, it, we're talking about beer. Every, everybody drinks beer. Everyone likes beer. Beer, by the way, is the best cure that I've ever seen for asexuality so, and demisexuality. The more beer you drink, it turns out your threshold for sex increases, your standards kind of drop down as well. Maybe they'll put that in the follow-up to the campaign. But it's beer. Everybody likes beer. Brett Kavanaugh likes beer. He still likes beer. I still like beer. Everyone likes it. You can drink it out of any cup, but Budweiser needs to cash in on Pride Month because pride is the virtue of our culture. We all love pride. And it's not just Budweiser. All of corporate America does this. The reason that they do this is because right now they see marketing to people with curious sexualities as all upside and no downside. 50 years ago, if you tried to market to gay people, you would, you would have your corporation boycotted. Back when America was more sexually repressed before the sexual revolution, you, you couldn't do that. Now, there's actually a lot of downside if you don't advertise toward curious sexualities. And I say curious sexualities instead of gay or lesbian because pride has now expanded to include every sexuality. As Budweiser shows, it even includes non-sexuality. And this is smart marketing because everybody has some sort of weird sexual preference. It's not just gay guys. Every single person in America likes some kind of weird aspect of sex. And I'm sure Budweiser has a cup for you as well. And, and in, in Budweiser's defense, at least they're just talking about the sex part. So they say they're embracing Pride Month, but they really just focus it on sex. And as we know from Marketing 101, sex sells. And so I, I can kind of go with it. 
other organizations, other politicians, even other priests are not just focusing on the sex part. They are taking it up a notch and talking about pride itself. This includes 2020 Democrat presidential candidates, including Liawatha Liz Warren, who did not just affirm her support of boys who like boys and girls who like girls. She came out for pride, dancing in the street in the Boston Pride Parade, wearing a rainbow feather boa. Here she is. I love marching in Boston Pride because the whole march is about love. We need more of that. <laughs> Pride is a celebration of unity. And just the fact that we're all here, you know, celebrating that love is love, and that's, that's what I'm celebrating. It's the first Pride that I've engaged, so I'm celebrating the fact that I can get married. So she's out there, she's the grand poobah, Elizabeth Warren of the Boston Pride Parade, and she tweeted out and said, quote, Pride Month is a celebration, but it's a time to remember the trailblazers who fought for LGBTQ+, civil rights. Every year you add another letter. Today and every day we renew our commitment to fight until everyone can live proudly without fear. I'll be right there alongside you. Happy pride. So you notice there's not really much mention of sex anywhere, which is ostensibly the purpose of Pride Parade. But in that tweet, there were three mentions of pride. So we're figuring out this is about something a little bit more than sex. And it's not just Liz Warren, even a Catholic priest got in on the celebration of pride. Before we get to that, let's talk about something that's a lot more serious, which is finding a new job. Finding a new job is a lot of work. And if, as I talk to my millennial friends, they're always looking for a new job. What if you had your own personal recruiter to help you find a better job? Now, ZipRecruiter's technology can do that for you. We love ZipRecruiter. We, we love to use them here at The Daily Wire to hire people. But I've, I've long... Uh, wondered if people trying to get a job could use it just as well. And now ZipRecruiter can do that for you. You just download the ZipRecruiter job search app. You let it know what kinds of jobs you're interested in and its technology starts doing the work. The ZipRecruiter app finds jobs that you will like and puts your profile in front of employers who may be looking for someone like you. If an employer likes your profile, ZipRecruiter lets you know so that if you're interested in the job, you can apply. No wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one rated job search app. If I had known about this, when I was looking for a job, there is a chance that I wouldn't just be the pizza boy for the Daily Wire. There's a chance that I wouldn't be operating out of a broom closet 18 hours a day. My listeners right now should download the app free app, ZipRecruiter job search app today. Let the power of technology work for you. Don't wait. The sooner you download the free ZipRecruiter job search app, the sooner it can help you find a better job. There is no better way to get a better job. Do it right now. You will not regret it. So it's not just the corporations and the politicians getting in on the celebration of pride. Even a Catholic priest is doing it. There's a, a guy named Father James Martin who tweeted out, he said, to all my many LGBTQ friends, Catholic and otherwise. Happy Pride Month. Be proud of your God-given dignity, of the gifts God has given to you, of your place in the world, and of your many contributions to the church. For you are, quote, wonderfully made by God. Hashtag Pride Month 2019. So he talks about 
pride mostly, a, a little bit on sexual preference. This is a little strange for Father Martin because the Catholic Church teaches that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered, so in his job and his role as a priest, it's a strange thing for him to say. But let's put that aside for a second. I think so many discussions of Pride Month are, are ruined because people want to focus on the sex aspect. Sex has become a very minor aspect of Pride Month. There, there's no real reason why pride and sex need to be connected. Put the sex aside. Why pride? Why pride? According to Thomas Aquinas, pride is the queen of all sin. It's not just a regular sin. It is the worst sin. It is the, the beginning of all sin. In the Bible, uh, which Father Martin might consider reading at some point, it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In the book of Ecclesiasticus, it says, the beginning of man's pride is to depart from the Lord. His heart has forsaken his maker, for the beginning of pride is sin. And then you have a priest saying, quote, a direct quote, happy pride month, be proud. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Politicians doing the same thing and corporations doing the same thing. Why is pride the worst of all sins? It's because it caused man to fall. The, the sin in the Garden of Eden is the sin of pride. The sin that caused Satan to fall from heaven is the sin of pride. Pride convinces you that you are better than you are. It, it, it convinces you to be uh, disrespectful toward other people, derisive of other people, dismissive of other people. If this Pride Month were really just about sex and specifically gay sex, it wouldn't be called Pride Month. It, it would be, well, like, if, if gay people really just wanted to be sort of tolerated by society and accepted by society, why would they choose for their motto the worst sin of all? Why, why wouldn't they at least choose some lesser sin like wrath or gluttony or sloth? Why wouldn't they call it, if they really were serious about just being accepted by society, why not call it Sexual Tolerance Month? Sexual open-mindedness month. Why is it called pride? It's because the left has a far bigger agenda than sexual tolerance. Sex is just the way in because we all love sex and we think about sex all the time and it's a, a good way to kind of pull, pull people in and attract people. So at this point, homosexuality, I think, is totally tangential to Pride Month. Now it's about gender. It's about sexual identity. So now there aren't just two genders. There are 56 different genders. And there is asexual pride. There is fat pride. There's skinny pride. There's all kinds of pride. What is pride? Pride is excessive love of one's own excellence. It, pride is, it's the opposite of humility. If pride is the queen of all sin, humility is the queen of the virtues. And they're, they're exactly opposite. Vice and virtue, sin and, and virtue are the opposite, and pride and humility are exact opposites. We, we know that humility is the beginning of all wisdom. We know this from scripture. We know this just from our own experience. Proud people come off like idiots. When you meet a proud person, no matter how popular they are, no matter how uh, many credentials they have, they seem like idiots. And when you meet a humble person, even if he has no education, if he, even if he's from a humble station in life, they often come off as very wise. So in a healthy culture, we approach serious questions with humility. Serious people approach questions with humility. So instead of pride parades, if we had a humble culture, 
and people who have differing sexual preferences wanted to be more accepted, they might have a parade that was called the please don't ostracize me for my sexual preferences parade or my sexual behavior parade. Humility would be the recognition that we are all very flawed people, which is certainly the case. Every single person that you have ever met is a very flawed person. Pride is the opposite. Pride is the fantasy that we're all perfect. And that is what is being embraced by the left. That is the agenda being pushed by the left. The leftist agenda is to suggest that human nature is perfectible. We're on our way to progress. That's what progress with a capital P means. And so progressives see the utopia. They see perfect human nature. And we're just marching there. We're so close. Just give us a little bit more money and a little bit more power. And we have a culture that values the self above all other things. So in a good culture, you have selflessness. You have people doing acts of charity for each other. You have people sacrificing for, for each other, for their children, for future generations. But in our culture, we don't have selflessness. We don't have people. We're, we're about to have the 75th anniversary of the D-Day invasion, of storming Normandy. That was an act of selflessness for the country. You, that's unimaginable today. Today, what we have are parades celebrating the self. We have self-love. We have self-care. We have selfishness. Self, selflessness is replaced by selfishness, and humility is replaced by pride. It is a horrible thing. No matter your sexual preferences, no matter your sexual views, no matter your religious views, no matter your moral views, pride is terrible. It will ruin society, and it will ruin your life. If you live in a proud way, if you think you're so great and everyone else is just kind of shorting you and cheating you and you got a big chip on your shoulder and everyone's worse than you are and you're so much better than everyone else, you're going to have a terrible life. Do not be proud. You have no reason to be proud. You should be humble. We should have humility parades. That's a good example. I mean, every single person has some sort of weird sexual desires. Statistically, every person who has ever walked the earth has some sort of weird sexual desire, which is why these sorts of parades are compelling to people because they say, oh, well, I've got kind of weird sexual desires there, but for the grace of God go I. That is a cause for humility. It's a cause for saying, hmm, gosh, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, off. We're all a little bit off. Okay, maybe we should be aware of that. It, sh it is not a source of pride. We should not have pride, not in our sex, not in our physical appearances, not in our, we shouldn't have pride in any of those things. Even in our intelligence, we shouldn't take pride. Even in, you know, we talk about national pride, how much, we're, how proud we are of our country. Even national pride, I, I wouldn't use that term. I have a devotion to my country. I have a love for my country. I have a loyalty to my country and my countrymen. But I don't know that it's pride per se. It's it's more personal. It's more real. It's more tangible. It's more of a relationship. That would be a healthy culture, but we don't live in a healthy culture, so get ready for more feather boas on Elizabeth Warren. Thankfully, she didn't wear a, a rainbow headdress. I think that might have even, that would have brought her poll numbers down from single digits down to zero, maybe down to negative. So at least she's just got the rainbow feather boa. She's not the only 2020 presidential candidate, though, who's making complete fool of herself. There are several others, probably you haven't even heard of them. One guy is a congressman from Massachusetts, uh, an Iraq war veteran, Seth Moulton, he was doing a town hall on CNN, and Seth Moulton decided he's going to pitch his presidential campaign, make his pitch to the country 
on the slogan that America is racist. Here he is. We have a problem with racism in America today. If this country wasn't racist, Stacey Abrams would be governor. This guy is so stupid. Stacey Abrams, you might not remember her. She's the lady who ran for governor of Georgia and lost and wouldn't concede, refuses to admit that she lost. So she's still pretending that she won. And so Seth Moulton is saying, if this country weren't racist, Stacey Abrams would be governor. That's his argument. I guess if you, you would extrapolate his argument, his argument would be if this country weren't racist, forget just Stacey Abrams, if this country weren't racist, black people would be elected to office. So you might say, if this country weren't racist, a candidate like Barack Obama would be elected to, oh, hold on, wait a minute, never mind, we've elected a black president. So <laughs> that part of the argument kind of falls apart. Actually, if Seth Moulton knew a thing about history, which I suspect he doesn't, uh, black people have served in high elected office, not just for the past 10 years since Barack Obama, they've served in high elected office for the last 150 years, century and a half. The first black person elected to high office, elected to the U.S. Senate, was the Republican Hiram Rhodes Revels in 1870, 149 years ago. Did I mention he was a Republican? I just wanted to get that out there. He was then followed by the Republican Blanche Bruce, elected to the U.S. Senate in 1875, second black U.S. Senator. But there were other people in the meantime. In 1870, after the Civil War, uh, Joseph Rainey, a black Republican, was elected to Congress. He was the first black member of Congress to be popularly elected and seated. And immediately thereafter, black people were elected to national office all over the place. Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, North Carolina, Texas, and Virginia. All over the place this happened 150 years ago. Then, after that, Democrats disenfranchised black people for a few decades. So they brought in Jim Crow, they brought in illegal uh, election laws, and so they were run out of office and their right to vote was compromised. Then, however, in the modern era, which begins, call it 1928, would be the first uh, black elected official to high national office in the modern era. That was the black Republican Oscar DePriest, who became a member of Congress. In total, there have been 10 black senators in the history of the United States. There have been 153 black congressmen, and there's been a black president. Every time a black person loses a race is not an example of racism. Stacey Abrams lost the race. They won't get over this. Hillary Clinton lost the race. Al Gore lost the race. I'm sorry. Every t it's amazing that during 2016, all we heard was this threat that if Donald Trump loses the election, he, he won't admit it. He won't concede the election. Hillary Clinton said that if Donald Trump didn't concede the election, it would destroy our democracy. And then what happens? Democrats lose the elections and they never concede. I think Al Gore still thinks that he's the president of the United States. Hillary Clinton still thinks she's the rightful president. She talks about it. The Russians stole it. The Macedonians stole it. The James Comey stole it. Stacey Abrams lost. She didn't lose by five votes. She lost 50.2% to 48.8%. That's a close election, but it's decisive. It wasn't five votes. It wasn't 10 votes. It was 55,000 votes. 
And this is a bizarre way. I mean, Seth Moulton is going nowhere. He'll probably be out before the first debate. He's not even registering in the polls. But if Seth Moulton wants to launch himself as a serious candidate, he's got military service. He's a current congressman. So he has some chance to do it. Why would you launch the campaign trying to relitigate a failed governor's bid in Georgia? She lost. The people of Georgia had their say. No one cares. Beto O'Rourke should be the lesson for everybody. Even the Democrats ultimately don't like a loser. So it's true. CNN will have Stacey Abrams on. She can say, I really won the election. Secretly, I'm the real secret governor of Georgia. CNN can have Hillary Clinton on. She'll say, I really won the election. I'm secretly the real president of the United States. But they're not. We hate losers in America. Even the Democrats are not immune to this. Why on earth would you keep just relitigating this, rehashing this? It's just evidence that he's going nowhere. But there's an even bigger problem that the Democrats have in 2020. And John Hickenlooper, who I guess is running, he's the former Colorado governor, he ran into this issue uh, at a major Democrat event in California. He found out the one thing that you can't say if you want to get past the Democrat primary in 2020. We will get to that. Then we will get to a surprising new poll on Roe versus Wade that the mainstream media are screaming about. And if we have time, we'll get to AOC. But first, I've got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Go to dailywire.com. 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get me, you get the Andrew Flavin show, you get the Ben Shapiro show, you get the Matt Walsh show, you get to ask questions in the mailbag, you get another kingdom, you get to ask questions backstage, you get the leftist tears tumbler. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's some of that good old Georgia moonshine. That's some of that good old Stacey Abrams lost the race moonshine. Mm-hmm. It still tastes good. It's a little aged now, so it's got, it's got a little age on it. Make sure that you get yours because 2020 could flood your house, you and your family. Make sure you get at least one leftist tears tumbler to survive. We will be right back. Stick around. So Seth Moulton is not the only wacko 2020 candidate. Uh, There is another one, John Hickenlooper, who is, he's so wacky because he's so sane. He's the uh, former governor of Colorado, and he's at an event for California Democrats, and he's trying to pull his party back from the brink. So he says, listen, guys, I, I really want us to win in 2020. I really hate Donald Trump. I really want to institute Democrat policies. We're not going to be able to do that if we keep pushing socialism on the American people. Here's the reaction that he got. If we want to beat Donald Trump and achieve big progressive goals, socialism is not the answer. I was reelected. I was reelected in a purple state in 2014, one of the worst years for Democrats in a quarter century. I was, we shouldn't try to achieve universal coverage by removing private insurance from over 150 million Americans. We should not try to tackle climate change by guaranteeing every American a government job. Hold on, hold on. As the Democratic Party, we have to create a vision for this country. I want to give Americans a reason to look forward to tomorrow. They're screwed. The Democrats are completely screwed. 
if that's the reaction that he's getting by saying, hey, we're not socialists, we shouldn't just have a totally socialist government that gives a job to everybody like we're Maoist China or something. If the reaction is boo, 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 if he has to say, wait, wait, hold on, let me finish, that party is in deep, deep trouble. How can they possibly win? It's not like this guy is some conservative. He's the former governor of Colorado. He's in an event for California Democrats. And he's just acknowledging a flat electoral reality, which is that the majority of Americans will not vote for a socialist. This is a fact. Few, Few Democrat politicians watch this show, so I'm not worried that they'll get the secret out here. But the most, most Americans will not vote for a socialist. According to a 2018 poll from Hill TV and Harris X American Barometer, 76% of Americans would not vote for a socialist. That is overwhelming. That is decisive. A more recent poll just came out just last month from Monmouth University. 57% of Americans believe that socialism is incompatible with American values. We should have known that. I mean, President Trump reads the polls. President Trump is pretty good at putting his finger on the pulse of the American people. He came out during that State of the Union and said, America will never be a socialist country. It's one of the greatest lines of any speech he's given in his entire presidency. And yet most Democratic candidates for president are running as socialists. Make no mistake. They don't all use the word socialist. Some of them do. Obviously, Bernie Sanders does and has for decades. But they are all running as socialists. Virtually all of them have embraced the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal is socialism. It is a radical form of socialism. It's a $93 trillion socialist plan that would give the government control over virtually the entire economy. It would give the government control over 90% of the American energy industry, over the entire healthcare industry, which is one-sixth of the economy, over all transportation, planes, trains, and automobiles. It would give them control over agriculture by killing off all the poor cows. It would give them control over housing, over every single building in this country. The government would be allowed to knock it down and build it back up. Actually, it goes even further. The Green New Deal would give a committee, just some random committee set up by the Green New Deal, the right to establish virtually any other policy that the committee sees fit. It would be a a fundamental reordering of our political structure. The Congress would give over its ability to legislate to some random committee of experts and and progressives that they know they're the the right uh, people to run our lives for us. This is a big deal. And it's not that Biden is the moderate. It's not that Kamala is the moderate. No, they, they are virtually all embracing this, and it's very unpopular. So you have guys like Hickenlooper saying, please, please don't do this to us. Please let us win this election, and they're getting booed. Even if this guy could make the case, let me get through the primary and I'll win the general, how is he going to get through that primary if the majority of Democrats are booing him here? Now, that's just socialism, which is, which is obviously a major issue and probably will give Donald Trump the 2020 election. There's another fundamental issue on which the Democrats are way off from the American people. You might not know it from the mainstream media, but that issue is abortion. And here's what I mean about the mainstream media. There is a headline today in The Hill, and the headline says, quote, poll, nearly half of Americans say Supreme Court should uphold Roe versus Wade. 
So you read that headline, you just glance at it, you see it on Twitter, and you say, okay, well, I guess we should uphold Roe versus Wade, because that's what the wording says, right? It says, Supreme Court should uphold Roe versus Wade. And you say, wait a second, does that, it says half of Americans? Oh, so the other half maybe think we shouldn't uphold Roe versus Wade. Then you see the word nearly. So to translate that, you could say, poll, less than half Americans say the Supreme Court should uphold Roe versus Wade. You could actually make it even more honest and say, poll, the majority of Americans want to si significantly change or overturn Roe versus Wade, the majority. This is what the article says, quote, 46% of respondents said the high court should uphold the ruling in Roe if the issue comes before the justices, while 36% said the Supreme Court should modify the 46-year-old ruling. 18% wanted the ruling to be overturned altogether. So you've got a group of Americans, 18%, nearly one in five, say that Roe versus Wade should be completely overturned. Then you have a group that's about, that's exactly twice as big as that, 36%, which says that the Supreme Court should modify the decision, which is to say it should overturn it, right? I mean, it should, it should modify key aspects of it. How do you modify a constitutional right to abortion? You say that there isn't an absolute constitutional right to abortion. And then you have the minority of people, 46%, who say we should uphold Roe versus Wade. This is a major win for pro-life. This is a major win for conservatives. And the Democrat Party is so radical on this issue. They're, the mainstream media are trying to present all these states that want to limit abortion as being the radical ones. Virtually every presidential candidate running on the Democrat side supports abortion up until the point of birth, even the so-called moderates, even the so-called reasonable ones. Here is Kirsten Gillibrand. who's on Fox News talking about the question of abortion. And she's asked it very point blank. What do you think about late-term abortion? She can't answer it. What I'm asking you, Senator, is what is your position on late-term abortion or last trimester abortions? Well, thank you for serving our community and helping our babies, particularly our preemies who deeply need the medical care they have. Um, my view on women's reproductive freedom is that it should be a woman's decision to make these most intimate life and death decisions for themselves. Okay, just to cut her off right here, abortion is not a life and death decision for the mother. Abortion is a life and death decision for the baby. There is virtually no case in which abortion is required to save a mother's life. You, you could treat the mother if she has some condition, and that treatment might consequentially end the life of the baby. But there's no case in which the cure for some ailment of the mother is abortion. It is not a life and death decision for the mother at all. It is a decision of a little bit of discomfort, I guess, if you carry a baby to term. But it is not life and death. It is only life and death for the baby. Then she realizes that's a bad answer. So she says, gosh, the only way that I'm going to be able to get out of this is if I just randomly start attacking Fox News. What we have created, unfortunately, is a false choice and a false narrative. And Chris, I want to talk about the role that Fox News plays in this, because it's a problem. Um, I can tell you, before President Trump gave his State of the Union, uh, Fox News talked about infanticide. There, infanticide Senator, doesn't, it Senator, doesn't exist. Senator, I just want to say, we brought you here for I know, I just, an hour. We have given you, we're, we're treating you that. very fairly. I understand that maybe to make your credentials with the, with the Democrats who are not appearing on Fox News, you, you're going to attack us. I'm not sure 
it's frankly very polite when okay, we've invited you to way. be here. I will do it in a polite way, but it's a, to her well, point. Well, I just, I just think, why don't, we, why don't we, I'm instead of talking about message. Fox News, why don't you answer Susan's so, question? Oh, I gotta love Chris Wallace sometimes. Sometimes he's kind of a rude interviewer because he interrupts people, but in this case, it worked out really well because she says, no, I have to attack Fox News because I have nothing to say on abortion. And he says, well, how about instead of talking about Fox, how about you just answer the question? So she gets called out on it. Then she tries to answer the question. And the only way that she can try to answer the question is to lie about what's actually happening. The debate about uh, whether or not women should have reproductive freedom has turned into a red herring debate. And what happens on Fox News is relevant because they talked about infanticide for 6.5 hours, 6.5 hours, uh, right before President Trump's State of the Union, um, mentioned it 35 times. That is not the debate of what access to reproductive care is in this country. It doesn't happen. It's illegal. It's not a fact. So none of what she said is true, other than that Fox News talked about it 35 times. Okay, I'll talk about it the 36th time. Democrats are endorsing undeniable infanticide. Don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take Kirsten Gillibrand's word for it, because she's a liar. Here is the Democrat elected governor of Virginia, our old pal, the guy who, when uh, you can't see him, it's probably because he's wearing a KKK mask, uh, Governor Ralph Northam. There are, you know, when we talk about third trimester uh, abortions, these are done uh, with the consent uh, of obviously the, the mother, with the consent uh, of the physicians, more than one physician, by the way. Um, and it's done in cases where there may be severe deformities, there may be a, a, a fetus that's non-viable. So in this particular example, uh, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mothers. A discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mothers after the baby has been delivered and is sitting on the table as to whether or not they want to kill the baby. He is explicitly talking about infanticide, which Kirsten Gillibrand is denying. And it's not just him. In the state of New York now, you can kill a baby under the Reproductive Health Act up until the moment it is being born. Partial birth abortion throughout this country. You can have a partial birth abortion where the baby is halfway born and then you kill it. This is happening all over the place. It is being pushed by Democrats. All the Senate Democrats are for it. Kirsten Gillibrand is lying. And she knows that she has to lie because the reality of it is too distressing. As sonograms become more uh, widely available and more advanced, as the technology advances, people can see that the baby is really a baby. And it is freaking people out. And it is showing these radical pro-abortion candidates for the sociopaths that they are, for the sociopaths and cynics that they are, like Kirsten Gillibrand. So she tries that. Obviously, people are just going to go back and look at Northam, look at Andy Cuomo in New York. Andy Cuomo, in his, in his law, the Reproductive Health Act, now changing the penal code so that if uh, you kill a pregnant mother, it's no longer double homicide. It's a single murder. That line doesn't work. So then they keep pressing Kirsten Gillibrand, and she finally has to give, finally, at long at last, the honest answer. Susan, are you satisfied with that answer? Are you saying also then for late term? 
So I support Roe v. Wade, okay? Roe v. Wade is the settled Supreme Court precedent that decides the entire issue. And so I support Roe v. Wade. I believe it should be codified. It's been law of the land for over 30 years. I love this answer from Kirsten Gillibrand because it's so honest in its performance. She is like a criminal being interrogated by the cops and she's given a whole bunch of different stories. They say, what do you think about late-term abortion, Kirsten? He goes, what, what are you talking about late-term abortion? This is a, this is a red herring debate. This is a, the Fox News. I don't want to hear about Fox News. Answer the question. Well, it's just Fox News talked about it for 35 hours. Okay, that's fine. What do you think about abortion? Well, look, I, I think that uh, in fantasy, it's not happening. It's not happening anywhere. Answer the question, Kirsten. What do you think about abortion? Okay, okay. I support Roe versus Wade, okay? That's her direct sentence. I support Roe versus Wade, okay? Like a criminal excusing herself, like someone admitting it, like it's a confession. She's desperate. She's tried now for several minutes to get around this question. She goes, okay, you caught me. I support Roe versus Wade. I think that a woman should be able to kill her child up until the moment of birth, maybe after birth, I don't know at least until the moment of birth. She is admitting that, and it's that okay. That gives away the whole story. Because if you asked me, what do you think about abortion? I'd say, I oppose abortion. You say, okay, I guess that would be the end of the discussion. If I were beating around the bush, I wouldn't need to say, I, I oppose abortion, okay? I'm not trying to hide it, because our opinion is correct. We, we should not kill babies. That's the right opinion, that's the moral opinion, that's the right side of history if you believe in sides of history. Feel totally comfortable, totally at peace with that opinion. She doesn't feel at peace with her opinion. Democrats don't feel at peace about their opinion. One, because it's immoral, and two, because it's electoral suicide. The majority of Americans want to change Roe versus Wade. The majority of Americans either want to change Roe versus Wade or overturn it completely. This is an electoral loser for Democrats. And this brings us to our favorite darling of the Democrat party, the socialista from Northern Westchester who pretends she's from the Bronx, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who faced a lot of electoral trouble now going back to her district. She was uh, walked out on by a number of military veterans. Now, this hasn't happened too much before, not because she hasn't offended a lot of military veterans, but because she never goes back to her district. A lot of people are saying she was elected in January and that was the last time they saw her until last month when she showed up because she's got a campaign again. But she just went to DC. You gotta remember, she's not from her district either. She's not from New York's 14th. She grew up a town over from me in Northern Westchester. She grew up actually in a ritzier town than I did and she lived there all throughout high school. Then she, all throughout elementary, middle school and high school. Then she went to college in Massachusetts. Then she came back and according to Westchester land records, lived with her mother in Northern Westchester until 2016. Then she worked in Manhattan as a bartender for a little bit. Then she went to Congress, now she lives in DC. So she's spent virtually no time in her district. She's going back and it looks like they're not too happy with her. So she was at a, a private meeting with Bronx community leaders and two military veterans stormed out, according to news reports, because she was knocking the country. She was insulting the country. One of them said, quote, she knocks the country, she knocks the president, and that's not what America is about. That man's name is Silvio Mazzella, Vietnam War veteran and treasurer of the community board 11. Another guy, Anthony Vitaliano, an army veteran who worked in the police department for 38 years. Uh, he also was the head of Bronx's homicide detectives. He was sitting between AOC and a staffer for AOC, and he said, quote, I just couldn't hear her BS anymore. 
So I got up, got my umbrella in my hand and walked right out. That's how you know he's a true New Yorker is he keeps the umbrella by him all the time. It's a bad look. Here's my advice for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It's a bad look to attack the United States. It's a bad look to constantly be criticizing your own country. In this, she was attacking American military policy and foreign policy. Bad look to do that, especially when you finally show back up to your district and you're talking to veterans in your district for the first time. Probably not a great idea to start criticizing the United States and what the American military does. The overall message for the left here, not just these 2020 candidates, but especially as we get into Pride Month, is what Bill Maher said. It was Bill Maher's advice to Democrats too. Message discipline. When the now de facto leader of the Democrat Party, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, don't take my word for it, by the way, that she's the head of the party. The chairman of the DNC, Tom Perez, said that AOC is the future of the Democrat Party. When she is bashing America to a bunch of military veterans, when Kirsten Gillibrand is endorsing abortion up until the point of birth, when Seth Moulton is saying that America is hopelessly racist and saying that people who lost elections really won elections, when the entire left, politicians, corporate America, even our religious institutions are embracing pride, the queen of all sins, the worst possible sin imaginable, you know you've lost the narrative. Fine by me. I don't want the left to win anything. So I'm perfectly happy for them to go out there and say, hey, we're not just talking about sex. We're talking about pride. Let's celebrate pride. And for all of their politicians to talk about how awful America is, how they all support socialism. When you get booed for saying America shouldn't be a socialist country, we all support socialism. We all support late-term abortion. Good, go out there. But you have lost the narrative. You are on a narrative that is fundamentally at odds with the United States, with our national history, with our people, and with reality. That's where the left is right now. Can you imagine how fun the rest of 2020 is going to be? That's our show. Come back tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you then. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Rebecca Dobkowitz and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio is mixed by Dylan Case. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. A wild debate has broken out between right-wingers on whether or not we're fighting for a free and open society or just trying to crush our political enemies, see them driven before us, and hear the lamentations of their women. Sounds like fun, but there's only one place you can get all the right answers. That's on The Andrew Claven Show.